What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Elevate Experience, the podcast about overcoming struggles and adversity and how that relates to addiction, recovery, and health. I am your host and the CEO of Elevate Addiction Services, Angie Manson. And I'm Dallas Terrell, co-host and life intervention counselor at Elevate. Thank you so much for joining us, and let's jump right in. All right, welcome back to the show, everybody. I am really excited to invite and welcome Rhonda Farah to our show. We have a lot of similar um, beliefs as far as um, healing and pass, and we're really excited to have you on the show. So thank you, Rhonda. Oh, my pleasure, Angie, uh, both uh, to you and Dallas for inviting me on the show. My pleasure to be here. Awesome. So why don't you lead us to where you are today and how you got there and why you're there? Okay. Where I am today is I am a lifestyle empowerment, an alchemist, a coach, an author, and a speaker. And that word alchemist, um, it's a chemistry word, which I'm not a chemistry person. <laughs> However, it is the alchemy that of what's happening with us in life that truly empowers us, that truly serves us if we choose to have that. So as an alchemist, I not only in my own life have mixed the good with the not so good, but help others understand that it is the good and the not so good is essential as well to move forward in life in an empowered way and live a life that we desire, the life that we want, merely, rather than merely running through life in default mode and settling through less year after year. So that's just very briefly who I am, what I do. I help others develop strategies to help them help themselves with respect to taking the good as well as the not so good. Some people call it the good, the joys, the sorrow, uh, the good and the joys, as well as the sorrows, um, the crap, the, um, toxic, the dark, the negative stuff, the bad stuff. I choose to say the good and the not so good. So we take our joys and sorrows, which is exactly what I have done to get to where I am and through a major detour as well. <laughs> I had a feeling that that was coming. The, uh, the yes. not so good part was a big part of uh, your story as well. <laughs> yes. Um, let me just say, um, First of all, as you may know, I grew up on the East Coast in a traditional family, a traditional home, what, what we would consider traditional in many respects. I had a stay-at-home mom, God rest her soul, and a stay-at-home dad, God rest his soul, that uh, the dad who preferred mom stay at home. So very traditional in that respect. And in other ways, I grew up in an extended family about through the age of eight years old. An extended family for us baby boomers was would be our parents, our siblings, aunts, great aunts, grandparents. So at any given point in time, uh, there were 13 people living in the same household. Wow. Um, so that was an extended family, in which is the way I see it. And I'm the oldest of, uh, three brothers and one sister. I had to think for a moment. Yes, three brothers and one sister. And it, it gave me the impetus to understand that I wanted to nourish others. I wanted to nurture others. And probably because I was the oldest and in an extended family of primarily women mm. who taught me how to nourish and nurture. Uh, which is traditionally, uh, not that men don't do that, but traditionally in that day and age, that was what was happening. Um, so primarily if the female influences that surrounded me at an early age totally contributed to me wanting to be in service to others, which is exactly what I do. So my educational background, um, just briefly, is in counseling and educational psychology. And it was really the, uh, my empowerment and really my credentials speak to themselves because I had to come out on the other side of my own personal challenges, professional as well, but mainly personal challenges. And those challenges were to include uh, incarceration, cancer, and the debilitating effects of divorce as well as total financial ruin. And the biggest thing I think with respect to the challenges and the struggles that I had, those sorrows were somewhere all in the 
in there, I lost my sense of self. And probably unconsciously to begin with, I lost my sense of self. And so that is why I am dedicated to helping others not only maintain their sense of self, but if necessary, find it, identify it. Again, where has it gone? Let's peel away the layers of the onion and see who it is we really are. Um, and in that, in that quest, uh, as long as others choose to do that as well, um, most of us conquer our most negative habits and build new and successful lives for ourselves, which um, I think I did. So a lot to unpack there. And, and one of, I think one of the most intriguing parts is you weren't uh, typical of a lot of guests that we have where, you know, you had a drug history, you went down a bad path. That's what ended you up in prison. Yours was quite a different story of how you ended up there and then having to overcome that type of adversity. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes. So even with a background in counseling and educational psychology, I was a teacher, okay? And I love to do that. And I had a very successful private practice. As well as I had this um, knack for real estate and financial transactions. And maybe I grew up with that. I probably did in our family. There were realtors, there were um, private investors, the whole nine yards. So we knew our way around property. We knew our way around the financial services industry. And lo and behold, uh, while doing a very successful and lucrative private practice in psychotherapy, I was a psychotherapist and hung that hat up to become the alchemist and the coach. Um, I got involved with some parties that I take total responsibility for, and we'll talk about how we all call it forward so we can learn our lessons. Um, I got involved with some parties that had these intriguing financial service investments. Okay, and my real crime was I am an expert delegator. I did absolutely no due diligence. I got involved with certain parties that got me involved with certain other parties. And lo and behold, um, while I was raising my daughter, I saw these proverbial words, United States of America versus Rhonda Farah on a federal indictment. And I said, huh? what is this about and today i mean it was it was totally terrifying to me it was terrifying it was unbelievable and it was before i was conscious that i needed <laughs> i needed this not so good stuff in my life because what i was doing was i was segueing away from being in service to others were you and, completely blindsided by this? Like you didn't even know you were committing a crime or you kind of knew you were doing stuff that wasn't right and you were just hoping to not get caught? Um, let me put it this way. As the months and a couple years went on, I said, hmm, there's something up here. The people that told me that this would happen, it's not happening. Okay, so I knew something was up. Was it my intent to ever commit a crime? Absolutely not, of course. A jury found that, you know, that was not the jury's opinion as well. So I, at the time, yes, I was completely blindsided. I was like, I woke up one morning, got my daughter ready for school, took my run, went to the gym and came back and understood that the police were looking for me, not just the police, the FBI. I said, oh my God, what is this about? I found out what it was about. I called up um, at the time that an attorney, and I was living in California, I, an attorney in San Jose. Mm -hmm. um, that turned out to be a total fiasco. And But point is, I surrendered myself because I said, what is really going on here? I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't have a traffic violation, let alone a criminal record, okay? Uh, I'm not a drug user. I never have been, and I'm a fitness person like like you all are. And <laughs> it was not only was I blindsided, I later would say this is a made-for-TV movie. This cannot be happening. I'm this is Hallmark. It's got 
you know, this is crazy. At the time, I also had a business counsel that referred me to the legend who is still passed, who is now passed away, Effley Bale. And I thought to myself, hmm, problem solved. I have Effley Bailey, he'll help me, okay? But you know, I've learned now over through this situation and as I'm, you know, over nearly 20 years older now, I've learned that for me, God throws some pebbles to get my attention, to awaken me. Then um, he may take out a two by four and mother <laughs> God absolutely comes with the brick. It's mother God that says, you are not listening, my dear. You are not awakened. You need to be awakened because there's a plan for your life and you're not following the plan. Because I wasn't following the plan, I was put in a major timeout in a federal prison camp. Um, went through a trial, the whole nine yards. My charges were out of Connecticut. I lived in Connecticut at the time. However, I was in California while all of this was happening. So I thought this, I still was in total disbelief. This cannot be happening. And everyone that I was involved with, counsel, private investigators, oh, don't worry about anything. This is not, this is ridiculous. Um, there is no intent here. You got involved with these people and blah, 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 blah. Well, the Rhonda who got involved with the people that committed whatever they committed was left holding the bag. That got my attention. That really got my attention. And I thought, wow, I'm going to be going through a trial. And I'm going to be in front of a jury, which I was. And there were so many things that were violated during that, but it was God's intent that I go through this. There were so many, there was so much stuff from a, a juror, the case should have been dismissed. The jurors were, were having problems uh, with their family members and through it all, the judge's response was, well, just tell them to hurry up and come to a verdict, which they did. 12 jurors, 12 people in a box that were supposedly my peers, which I could not see them as my peers at all. Um, and I'm not saying anything disparaging, but they simply were not my peers. On all counts, guilty, guilty, guilty. Wow. 12 people. So I stood up and listened to that. Guilty, guilty. And all I could think about was my daughter, my 13, you going on 14 year old daughter. So that was the biggest wake up of my life. It will continue to be the biggest wake up of my life, more than cancer, more than divorce, more than financial ruin. That was a wake up call because it hit me home because family is so important to me the way I grew up and otherwise. I all I could think of was my daughter. Mm. We fast forwarded to uh, getting not incarcerated in, I didn't have bars where I was. I had, I was in a federal prison camp, a woman's camp in Dublin, California, and then in Victorville. Gotcha. My sentence was 72 months. Okay. So six years, near, nearly six years, I, I forget what the calculation is, maybe 85% is what federal prisoners serve. And that's what I did. So six of my birthdays, as well as my daughter's, six of all my family members' birthdays, six of every holiday were spent away from my family, but with another family. Yeah, I was going to ask, so did you find yourself utilizing your skills as a therapist to counsel the other women within the prison system? Like, is that what, did you start to find yourself doing that, being that person? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the way it unfolded was for about a year, I was the person, this was definitely a defining moment. I was the person who was banging the phone against the wall from federal prison camp saying, get me out of here, I don't belong here. To one day having what I call now, 
and there's my aha breath again. That's my God breath, okay? The aha breath came out. I had the aha moment, um, and I decided then, I remember saying to myself, today is a good day to have a good day. I literally said that. Today is a good day to have a good day. I didn't bang the phone on the wall any longer. I let go of some hurt and healing, which is still in process now. I let go of some hurt and healing, and I moved into what I call grace and the magnificence that we all have to, it's not so much what happens to us, but it's utilizing our authentic power from within to not only deal with it, but to become better from it and for it because of it. So when I, that was definitely a defining moment. That phone stopped banging against the wall, and I just, I let go. I let go and I let God, without even saying that, that's a cliche these days. Mm -hmm. I probably didn't even realize I was doing it. But that's what but was I happening. Was yes, yeah, that's exactly what was doing it. And what that did, because Angie had asked me, what did, did you find yourself counseling the women there? What that whole prison experience did and what that defining moment was, was me being pivoted back into being in service to others. I did, the, the prison was a detour, okay? However, it was a necessary detour and I, and I got detoured right back into what I was supposed to be doing, being of service to others, okay? Um, ironically, because you are in the, the addiction business, the alleviation of addictions, um, I was asked, I was sought out to um, contribute to a drug program, an education program there, where I would teach my wellness class, which was actually I formulated there for the women. And the women would take my class, and it was once a week. We had a quiz at, at the end of every week about what we talked about during that class. and. That, I don't know, probably 15 weeks they did. And what it earned them was a year off their sentence. Wow. What did it earn you? Nothing. I I got, you know, that wake up call <laughs> said, hey, oh, what, wait a minute. Maybe I can get a year or two off. Yeah. No, the response was, oh, no, Farrah, we need you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I had the rapport. Okay. You, you know, let me just say this. Wherever I was incarcerated in these camps, um, Possibly because I was a model inmate. I mean, I, I knew how to live a productive lifestyle. I was respected, not only by the women that I was incarcerated with most days, maybe not on laundry day. We didn't have that much respect for each other, fighting over three washers. But I was respected by the counselors, by the guards, and otherwise. That meant a lot to me. That meant that someone, whether they could tell me or not, really saw me as worthwhile with respect to what I was doing and who I was. Even though I had this thing on my head now, you know, ex-con, uh, inmate, the whole nine yards. Um, so it, it, it was the beginning of me understanding that wherever I was, I didn't need, I just needed to be me. I needed to be myself. I needed to do me, okay? I needed to do that self-care and self-love, even though I didn't define it as that during those times. I needed to do that. It's not, wasn't my bank account. It wasn't the house I no longer lived in, the car I no longer drove. Um, it wasn't any of that superfluous external stuff. And believe me, I like nice things, <laughs> but it wasn't that. It was not that. It was what was in here, the magnificence and my authentic power. Am I using that to benefit myself, first of all, so that I can be energized and benefit others? So, and, and the way I did that was I had to listen, first of all, and I was open and receptive, not out of fear, but I listened that this was a necessary stop to pivot me back to where I need to be. And it was also at that time that 
today I liken it to I just wear loose fitting garments <laughs> so that I can use my gifts to help others. Okay. I can easily access my toolbox and do that. And and I it was a pretty dark time in my life. Um, but there wasn't a day that I didn't either laugh or I didn't cry based on what was going on. But I soon noted that uh, the greatest guide into my light, at least, was darkness. Was what? And so I had the greatest, the greatest guide to get me to my light, to my true self, was to be in darkness. Yeah, got it. I love that. I love that. I mean, it's hard to appreciate the light if you never get the dark. As it is, as unfortunate as it is, it's still the truth. If it's all light, you don't appreciate it because it, it's always that way. That's and again, it was may not have you know been that way when I was there. Right. You know, I may not have unconsciously, subconsciously recognized or consciously recognized that, but the subconscious mind, which is ninety-five percent of what's going on with us, knew that and said no. You're okay, Rhonda. You're gonna be okay. Of course. And I, I want every single moment of every single day. And I do consider it a gift and a blessing, uh, which is what I talk about, especially in these times with this pandemic, this isolation. These are all gifts and blessings. I was in lockdown. Many are still in lockdown. Yeah, we yeah. may be going back into lockdown, who knows? But that lockdown for me was a time to pause and a time to press the reset button, which is what I attempt to accentuate to others in whatever lockdown we're in. We can be in many prisons. You don't have to be with Razor or in a federal prison camp. You can be in many prisons, emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially, many prisons but to realize that it's only a prison if you think it's a prison and i do believe i always had the key the yeah. key was around my i just never picked it up wow. to, to unlock what i needed to lock and we all have that key in whatever lockdown and whatever prison we happen to be in we all have that authentic power it's time to pick up the key yeah i love that that's super powerful Rhonda. i had a question about that because well, I guess I'll preface it with this. I feel like when we go through something very difficult or we are in one of these prisons or if we are in one of these lockdowns, it's very hard to see the silver lining or it's very hard in that moment to realize that like this mess could be your message or this darkness can, you know, provide gratitude for the future. Was there anything you kind of hinted at it earlier, but was there anything while you were in there that helped you? almost have gratitude for that experience or be able to see the importance of like the whole picture? The, yes, there was. And that came after that year of banging the phone against the yeah. wall. When I detached, I call it detachment now. Yeah. When I speak to audiences or clients, when I detached from all that, I detached from the outcome. I wasn't teaching women and helping women mm -hmm. with whatever it was that that was going on with them because i expected something i thought about it a year, you know a year after teaching these classes well what can i get out of this well when the answer was nothing i said okay but i am getting something because it was not only my sanity it was my aura and my awakening that was awakening even more so when you talk about gratitude i consider it a total gift and a total blessing yeah. When I said that to my parents, they thought I had gone off the deep end. <laughs> I had, and the way I put it was, if I had this to do all over again, knowing what I know now, it was when I was released, I would do it the same way. They thought I went off the deep end. They <laughs> thought this whole experience affected me in more ways than one. Of course. And I do believe that it was not only a defining moment in my life to be incarcerated, it, it was a, an interesting moment, to say the least, because I found out more about myself. I had the ability and the time to write, um, to speak during class, as well as in other areas, and which I wasn't doing. Again, right. I was pivoted back into my purpose my purpose was not the purchase and resale of medium-term banknotes. 
okay? <laughs> My purpose was to help others live an empowered life regardless of situation, circumstance, or happenstance. And I needed those credentials. Mm-hmm. I needed the credentials of not only being incarcerated and going through all the years of not being with my family, I needed the credential of finding out I had a lump on my breast. Of course. And doing nothing about it other than prayer and intention because I saw what was happening with the medical system, which I won't even get into. They did the best they could, the Bureau of Prisons, okay? But I wasn't going to fall into that mode. Another, that's terrifying to be incarcerated and know you can't have the care that you absolutely need. And uh, that was another situation that turned out well. It was a gift and a blessing. The the incarceration prepped me for going through breast cancer and in 11 months going through it while still incarcerated, but doing nothing about it, keeping it to myself. Wow. Did you heal yourself completely from that while you were in prison? I, he- I maintained what I needed to maintain, and it never got above a nearly stage three breast cancer, okay? When I came, all I knew was I needed to maintain what I needed to maintain. I was still running. Uh, some days I think the lump was there, then it was gone, okay? So I was talking to myself about that. And um, when I came home, I got my doctors, in Monterey, I had my doctors, and sure enough, oh, I went to a halfway house for a little while. They couldn't wait to get rid of me when they found out I had a lump on my breast mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. And but again, everyone was very kind and considerate, as they did the best they could. Everyone that I encountered did the best they could because that's all we're always ever doing. We're doing the best that we can do with what whatever it is that we are into those situations and circumstances that 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 stuff that's going on so when you talk about healing myself um i was my gyn for had been for many years and monterey said you're going to get a biopsy i went and got a biopsy right away sent me right away that was a friday the results came back uh, of course in breast cancer awareness month um October, October 10th, 10, 10, 2005. It's positive. So now, okay. And my daughter kept saying, oh, when are we going to get a break? When are we going to get a break? And I would just say, not the worst news, not the best news, but not the worst news. Yeah. And, And went on from there. So again, these moments in my life, this not so good stuff came to empower me even further so that I could help others, whether it be teaching wellness classes in a federal women's prison camp or facilitating breast cancer awareness classes in the hospital. Okay. Well, going through, you know, my own chemo, um, I did go through chemo, oh, I, but I did go through, you said, did I heal myself? I went through medical Qigong. I found a practitioner in Monterey. And I, I didn't start chemo right away. About three weeks, I delayed. My daughter was going crazy. Oh, my God. We went to my oncologist, noted oncologist up there, and... She said, I don't know what you're doing, but you're shrinking your tumor. <laughs> My daughter's head whipped around on her neck, and she looks at my oncologist, and she said, you're buying this shit, too? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, okay, all right, before we get into a fist fight, I knew that I had that power to heal myself. But I also knew I don't need to play games with nearly stage three breast cancer. Right. So it was the the power from within me that helped me heal, but it was also the power from within me that put me into chemo that gave me, yeah, sure, I was a little debilitated, but um, I was at least walking, some running. Yeah. Well, in chemo. Um, I was teaching some classes for what I now call empowerment for other women going through the same thing. And... Uh, 
I did a little, uh, they did a little cleaning out of margins um, for surgery. The best news I ever had, you'll appreciate this, be being in the business that you're in. I go and I get this diagnosis and I'm deathly afraid. Oh my God, chemo and the only thing I could say, I've never taken any street drugs in my life. And now it's chemo, oh my God, like this is the, like, the worst thing possible. Yeah. And um, my oncologist had sent me to a surgeon in Monterey who was referred to and still is as the best breast guy around. And <laughs> That's a good nickname. <laughs> yeah, he's the best breast guy around. And he looked at me and he said, I just want you to know that this can be treated chemically. And I go, what do you mean? And he said, chemo. And I, you know what? From being afraid of chemo, I was all of a sudden, this is the best news I've ever heard. Yeah. Okay, it can be treated. Chemically. I went through all that, had some side effects and otherwise, but got through it, took it for the blessing that it was, had the margins cleaned out, um, kept my breast, and also uh, went through 37 bouts of radiation therapy. Wow. And that ended, everything ended in March 2006. So that's what, that's what, 17, I don't know how many years, 16 years cancer free, thank God. But here's the thing, it's my lifestyle and it's the work from within, daily spiritual practice with respect to incarceration, with respect to cancer, with respect to other things that I face on the daily basis. And that's, those are the things, that's the power within us that each of us has. So to be able to speak to the fact that I saw the light at the end of the tunnel, it wasn't a train coming. You can do that too. We are all our biggest guru. I learn from my clients and my audiences, mm -hmm. just like they learn from me. I learned from my fellow inmates, my fella, my women inmates that, you know, I serve time with. I learned a lot from them. I learned a lot about myself and they learned a lot about themselves when they still contact me on Facebook and otherwise and say, I don't know if you remember me, but this is how I felt when I would look at you and I would hear you speak and I would just talk to you. That, and again, it was the gift, the blessing. And that's what I was talking about with respect to being in there. When women that couldn't get a handle on, you know, they replaced the drugs with other things. The, the food is, you know, I called it, it's like kind of like a death camp for diabetics and otherwise with what's being served. But the point is that we have food, let's make some healthy choices. Yeah. And move forward with there. So when people would say, well, I'll take care of this, my weight, I'll take care of exercising. When I go home, I go, let me tell you what, this is our time. This is the gift and the blessing. Cause when we go home, we gotta watch the kids, we gotta get a job, we gotta pay the rent. We got other things that are gonna be happening. This is our time. Let's make it what we can make it. And some did and some didn't, and that's that. But my gift was that I could be in service to others and use the skills, talents, and abilities that I had been blessed with. Not in a million years did I ever think, thought, think it would be in a federal women's prison camp. Not in a million years. So whoever says, mother and father God don't have a sense of humor, watch out. That's it. <laughs> they do. <laughs> definitely yeah, it's crazy to me to think like how much so I guess it's funny because we work in drug and alcohol treatment and a lot of clients upon enrollment are like this is a prison it's not the people that say that are the ones that have never been to prison however yeah. there's a lot of similarities from your story to clients being in treatment especially the one that was most most noteworthy to me was the one of we have no job, we have no money, we have no cars, we have no possessions, but they all tend to still find value in each other, which I think is such a huge, a huge lesson is that Absolutely. there's value in us for just who we are, not what we have. And it's awesome to watch clients experience that on a very real level. Yes. And then the other one that comes up to me too that I'm starting to forget now because I'm stuck on the first one 
So give me a second. What was the second okay. one? I lost the second one. Well, but while the- you're thinking about the second <laughs> one, I, I have one. I also enjoyed what you said about the healthy choices. Um, because, that was it. Yeah, because for us, you know, we provide meals, three meals a day, and we're catering to all different types of people coming from all types of situations. And, you know, we don't, we restrict a lot of sugar, but um, it's not 100% organic and, you know, macros figured out for them. And, you know, <laughs> th- we give healthy options, but it's also teaching them how to choose healthy options when there's other things available because that's the real world the real world isn't just you know here's your only healthy option isn't that great the real world is here's mcdonald's burger king you know togos and and whole foods what are you going to choose and so you know i think it's very important to teach people there are healthy options even in really unhealthy and not that our program isn't unhealthy but teaching them that you can find healthy options wherever you're at and whatever you're doing because that's real life that is real life and there were plenty of healthy options it's it's our in in prison for me and for others are we choosing to be as healthy as fit and as trim in body and mind and spirit as we can be even financially what are you spending your commissary money on yeah crap you know, or, hey, they got avocados, great, okay. You know, the so it's the healthy choices and the healthy choices are on a matter of lifestyle. It's not, you know, I'll give you a quick story with respect to so many women wanted to lose weight. Yep. They were unhappy with their body image. I did a class on body image and being empowered from that. And then we'd get to the dining hall and of course, I was proverbially the one, the guard would come and say, oh, there's Farrah. She's the last one out of here. She eats so slow. <laughs> okay. They, but they called you by your last name. Okay. So the, I said, well, I'm talking, you know, and, and pretty soon, you know, the table I'm with, everybody's talking. So it's not that we were delaying anyone, but it was noticeable that we didn't vacuum the food, which was in section trays big i mean section trays and so you women would fill that up because they were fulfilling the need for stuff that they weren't getting mm-hmm. in prison and maybe didn't have through their life which is why they became addicted or why they were in there to begin with 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 respect to the habits that they had formed that put them in prison okay maybe not drug habits so it was definitely unless I could not want for someone what they do not want for themselves. And I, I live by that today. I cannot want for people I love or clients or audiences or anybody. So true. My soon to be ex I cannot want anything for anyone that they do not want for themselves. I mean, I can, but it's kind of pointless. Yeah. Waiting, wasting that energy, wasting that breath. They must want it for themselves. If you want it enough, you will find a way. If you want peace and you want harmony and you want joy and you want to be the healthiest, the fittest and the trimmest you can be in every area of your life. And by trim, I just don't mean body sculpting and otherwise. I mean, what are you trimming from your life? Right. What, do you, what have you decluttered so you can get to where you want to be and utilize the energy properly? Yeah. So the quick story was, okay, here's they have this tray in front of them with all kinds of stuff and they're going to they're committed to finishing everything in the tray but they're full. You don't just do that in prison camp. Other people do that with respect to eating disorders or otherwise. You got to fill yourself up, overflow because you're not getting what you want from other areas of your life. I would say you're done, right? And they'd say, "Yeah, I guess so." And I would take the pepper shaker. Seems cruel, but not really. After a couple times of that, they started to put less in their plate, in their little sections, because that was the beginning. And it was up to them from there. It's You guys are in fitness. It, it's like having a personal trainer attached at your hip for the rest of your life. That's not the object of a personal trainer. It's to help you help yourself. Mm-hmm. 
hundred percent. And we, we've experienced that a lot too. Um, even, you know, when women and men get sober, you know, they can tend to put on their healthy weight and then sometimes they can keep putting on weight. And so, you know, that's something that we really try to address as well, because, uh, you don't want getting sober to be a bad thing. You know, it's a good thing. So that requires discipline and diligence and consistency. And like you said, not blowing up, you know, uh, 30, 40 pounds and I'll deal with that when I get out of here. Cause odds are, you're not going to deal with that when you get out of here. Now you're dealing with all kinds of other things. So let's get those healthy habits in now in a controlled environment so that when you leave they're with you, wherever you go and for the rest of your life. It's exa- and I totally agree with you. And it's, it's exactly like that with respect to the recidivism rate. I don't know how high it is now, but it was nearing 70%. People that were incarcerated and institutionalized, they'd get out and they'd go back because they couldn't, live, they couldn't make those choices for themselves. The institution was making the choices right. for better or for not. Yeah. And it, that's the, it was their program. So it's, Rehabilitation is an interesting word for me when it comes to the prison system. Because you know what? They were doing the best they could. If you've got a bunch of people that are unruly and would rather not be there rather than invest in themselves and getting, as we say, with the program, mm-mm, it's not going to work. You know. It's I'm a not, tough I'm job. Tough job. Yeah. It, it's a tough job. Yeah, I mean, we experience the same thing in treatment. You get unruly clients. You get the four or five that don't want to be sober and want to ruin it for the other 50. And you got to make hard decisions sometimes and enforce rules that, you know, maybe aren't the most, uh, they don't feel as good. But if it helps 50 compared to the other five, you got to do it. Yeah, absolutely. The um, I, I would li- I like to add something about I had, if I may yeah of course floor is yours call calls something forward um, I believe that taking responsibility is the biggest empowering force in anyone's life if you can say yep I screwed up whether I meant to or not whether I intended to or not I made some very poor choices that's what I did I made poor choices and but i call those choices forward i never considered myself a victim as a matter of fact martyrdom is highly unattractive right. on me okay on anyone and yeah on your right if unless they want that victim mode and it's everybody else's fault but their own i take total responsibility for where i was it and, and then i got to decide okay now i'm here what do i want to do about it well after a year i stopped hitting the phone against the wall saying I don't belong here I said ah maybe I do maybe I called this forward and that's why I, I I began then but didn't know it I was dedicating my life to awakening minds hearts and especially spirit to our authentic power from within us I didn't know it I didn't put it in those words <laughs> but now that's that's exactly what it is because that authentic power is in each one of us. So I believe that's a big thing. Um, I was incarcerated to be liberated. That was almost the name of the book. The working title of the book now is From PTA to Prison, My Journey in Consciousness Through Transformation. Okay, so I was incarcerated to be liberated, to make a shift and not merely survive, but to thrive. We are in the world now, in my opinion, where globally, number one, we're all in this together. We're not alone. That had to be realized. That's why this is happening globally, whatever you want to call it. Whatever you want to call it a conspiracy or a pandemic, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's happening to everyone. Well okay? said. It really doesn't matter. It's not gonna, if you call it a conspiracy, it's not gonna get better any quicker. Okay, that's, that's what my bottom line is. So we've called this forward, so now we get to decide what to do about this. Well, we're in lockdown or we'll not. This is a perfect opportunity for us to go within. How many people really go within? I'm odd, I go within, okay? I go within and even things that are happening to me today 
with a divorce. I went within and I could say, what the hell is this? I'm blindsided again. Now, I'm not blindsided. My purpose was to not to be where I was. That was my purpose because I could not fulfill what I needed to fulfill. I could not fulfill what I needed to fulfill. And so I had to be removed. I had to take another detour. I had to have a timeout. Okay. That's, and that's what it is. It's not, my sister no longer calls it, oh my God, there's Pollyanna again, (laughs) talking about how all this crap in her life, you know, was meant to be. It was. No accidents, no happenstance, and no coincidence. And I take responsibility in every single area of my life with respect to what is happening to me. And that is the only way, number one, I can go on camera and speak about this. And this is, I haven't even been as candid. There's no hard questions here for me. If you want to shoot for it, go ahead. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we're going to get hard questions out of you. You, are, you have uh, accepted and owned everything, so it's... Yeah. It's just conversation for you at this point. <laughs> yeah, and again, it's very similar, you know, if not same modalities as what, you know, we try to teach our clients as well. Like you're never going to truly overcome this unless you take full responsibility for your part in having created this condition and being the victim of a disease isn't going to solve anything. So how about let's take responsibility for what we did do and uh, move forward and be empowered. And that's why our message is very similar. Yes. Yes. And that's, again, there's no accidents or coincidence that we were brought together. Absolutely. I think, uh, Rhonda, a question I have for you is like, it's, as you obviously probably know this as well, personally and professionally, how do you, how do you help someone understand the responsibility? How do you help or urge someone closer to acceptance? That to me has been that definitely the meat of of the work that I do and that we do it's like the most rewarding and the most upsetting part yes because it gets in the way but it's also the solution and like you said you can't want it for somebody else but do you have any best practices or tips to urging someone closer to responsibility or closer to acceptance the I call it inviting. Yeah. And you're absolutely, we cannot want for others what they do not want for themselves. So I invite you, I don't know, I invite you to say yes to today. I post nearly every day nice. something inspirational, most based on what I'm going through in my life. Of course. So I invite you to say yes to today. I invite you to be of service to someone. I invite you to smile at everyone you meet. I like that. So the invitation stands. I'm I'm doing the inviting. The the second way is to, I just wrote about this yesterday, to be the that you want. If you want love, act lovingly. You may not get love from where you think it's coming, from that other person that you want so desperately to love you. Mm -hmm. But you will get love. If you want joy, be joyful. Don't walk around, oh, everything sucks. Yeah. You know. Be more of what you want in the world. That's right. Be the change that you wish to experience and express and enjoy in your life. Be that change, whether it be love, whether it be abundance, whether it be improved health, better health and well-being, uh, whether it be peace and harmony, whether it be some order out of chaos, that we're in chaos. A lot of us are in chaos even without what's happening globally today. Of course. A lot of us in chaos, we're not... I'm not talking about multitasking. I I do that. I'm talking about not being. Be. Just be. Stop doing. I make the lists. I make, I got my day planner. That's it. I'm very old school. Forget the computer. I want to see it in front of me written down. Right. I do that. I make the lists. However, the only reason that I can do is because I'm taking the time for being. Mm -hmm. We're in a culture that's like oh my god what'd you do today what'd you accomplish today were you productive today yeah i was i was i was being okay i was being today Mm -hmm. and that's how i know what to do 
next or what to experience express and enjoy next so to and and by example okay just when i when i was in prison camp and people were you know people were following me around the track and it wasn't i'm not saying that in an egocentric and edging edging god out way but it was like hey it made me feel healthy to say i must be doing something right yeah <laughs> i'm helping some people yeah you were leading they, by example they, yeah people yeah, wanted what you example. had yeah be the role model okay when we have children be the role model that was a tough thing for me leaving my daughter 13 going on 14 mm, what kind of role model is that yeah what kind of role model is that when you come to the visiting room and there's yelling and screaming and otherwise uh, in one moment, and I say, Amanda, I'm really sorry I ruined your life. She said, it happens. <laughs> That's what she said. Who, where did that come from? When I would go back from the visiting room into the unit, and everybody would say, well, how was the visit? I said, oh, it was a little touch and go there for a while. And yelling and this and someone proverbially would be standing by that was in the visiting room too yelling i thought you guys were praying <laughs> <laughs> nice okay so again and and to be um it, it probably took a year too i lived in pebble beach i went to prison okay my that's a my, sentence I, yeah okay that was also another working title but i chose that would have been a good one too (laughs) from pebble beach to prison yeah so two things with respect to that during that year where i still wasn't awakened i was getting there but the brick was coming out again okay before i could hit the phone on the stop hitting the phone on the wall and say okay oh well when I was asked by a guard or somebody, well, where do you live? For nearly a year, I said, Pebble Beach. <laughs> <laughs> the guards would say, the corrections officers would say, no, Farrah, where do you live? You live in, well, we had tiers there. The first was the ghetto. Then you went to C1. Then you went to C2. Two, which is actually the drug unit, which I never got to, but I was all I was in that C one from the ghetto. That was the honors place. <laughs> we we called it. This is honors door. We're in honors door. Okay. <laughs> so so I had to get over that. It was like, wait a minute, I don't live in Pebble Beach anymore. What's going on? When when I would say to my my dorm mates, there was four in a row, my bunkies. I would say, uh, they'd say, well, what do you, you know, you probably never had to do anything. You had such a good upbringing and otherwise. Yeah, I went to Catholic school, you know, we always had a car. I would say, well, we had, to, we had our chores indoors and outdoors. They, they weren't assimilating that. They weren't assimilating with I was supposedly, I had no silver spoon in my mouth, believe me. We did everything that we were supposed to do, chores and otherwise. We had no allowance. Our allowance was we could live where we lived <laughs> so, <laughs> with my parents. So that was what was happening with respect to other people. They were saying, oh, she doesn't even know, you know what this is about. And it took about a year for not for when I became I was became very humbled in that year. So but but what I'm saying is it's not only leading by example, it's the it's the examples that we had to get where we are in life before we were even at prison in prison. Those came to be known as very healthy instead of people being intimidated mm-hmm. by that. They got to know Rhonda real closely. They got, these were my sisters. These were my sisters. These were my aunts, my grandmother, my mother. These were children in the prison. I still keep in touch with one today that has four children now. Wow. Okay. And wouldn't listen to what I would say. (laughs) But she still communicates 
at least on Facebook and says, I'm listening, I'm listening, oh, your children are beautiful and this, that, and the other thing. So you see, when you're trying, I share that with you. Like, oh, you don't, you don't, do you understand how much better your life can be? You don't have to be institutionalized. You have free will. You can make healthy choices. You are the guru from within. Your life is magnificent. You are healthy, whole, and complete just the way you are. So is that what you're doing today? Like, tell us about what you're doing today. Um, counseling or there's a book you, we, you've, you've touched on. There's a, I know there's a show. Tell us everything that you're doing today. The book is in process. Okay. The, the, definitely the book is in process. I have 12 chapter summaries. Um, I've uh, put it out to people I'm working with on another project that would like to make a documentary nice. about that. Um, I am also, the, the TV show is going, although the network's been changed, which you and I will talk about at another time. <laughs> However, I have an active podcast um, that is Help Me Rhonda Now, dedicated to awakening hearts, minds, and especially spirit, to living the life that we want rather than settling for less all the time, living life in default mode. That podcast, is up and running. I am about to have a round table with baby boomers um, next month, the first round table. And as, as I become clearer and detached from stuff that's not serving me personally, as well as professionally, then my purpose is clarified. So for years, I may have shared this before, Angie, with you, oh, 45 and over and mainly women. That's my market. You know my market is? 45 years old men can come to i'm a baby boomer i'm 62 okay i know i don't look it okay but i'm 62 <laughs> i take care of myself and i'm a baby boomer i'm here to help baby boomers live the best life that they can live regardless of situation circumstance and happenstance i'm doing i'm concentrating mostly on that now i have several private clients however i am beginning the lifestyle empowerment club which is online a club that will meet every week so it's everything that i was doing in person in a group but now i've moved it online because we don't know what's happening yeah of course and everything else and quite frankly, I'm really getting used to this. Yeah. Uh, Zoom and everything. And, and, and people are becoming open and receptive. My God, we don't have to drive anywhere. We can, we can be there. Uh, and we don't have to leave. All we have to do is, which was, a, I had some technical challenges in my life. But, you know, if I'm teachable and trainable, so are others. Believe me. So all of that is happening. And, and I am accepting. I was so pleased that you invited me on the show. Wow. Because th this is, to me, this is a venue, not just to promote myself, but to show the mess that became the message. Yeah, okay. absolutely. I feel the same way. Rhonda, you have so much to offer, you know? So, like, supporting somebody and offering these amazing perspectives and, like, reframes on situations and just encouraging people to look at things differently. I think there needs to be more of that. So we're we're definitely in a line alignment as far as that goes and it's it's so nice to hear from people that know what they're talking about because they lived it and they experienced it 10 times over that's how people they they appreciate the story because it's true you know like we respond so well to stories it's just kind of our nature yes yes and so you know the story continues the uh of course it 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 moves on from from one chapter to the next but i you know my i love that i can be awakened to the point that i know i have to detach from particular outcomes yeah um i, I be and then i take inspired action and if the inspired action doesn't pan out i be again and take a different inspired action i'm really good at pivoting okay yeah. so, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah that's good i mean that's what you have to do to survive like there is no black and white plan a there is no other way to go it's just that's uh i think those of us who've who've navigated the whole pandemic that we're just really good at pivoting because we had to continuously through a lot of that 
I, I totally agree. And part, a big part of my message now is because of this pandemic, lots of stuff is here to stay yeah. that we needed. We needed to go within. And so that is not only a contributing factor, it's essential that I speak to that when I speak to an audience and otherwise. Well, Rhonda, thank you so much for coming on the show. I think we had an amazing conversation and you gave so many helpful and useful tools for our listeners. You know, a lot of it echoes what, um, you know, we preach and, and go over at Elevate, but your story is so different than that, that um, I think uh, anybody listening could see how it could apply to them and their life and what you've overcome. Yes, yes. Yeah, so um, thank you again. I not only was able to express what I wanted to express, that mess into a message, um, but I absolutely appreciate the experience and the invite and I enjoyed myself. Thank you. All right, guys, that's our show for today. We hope you found some value from listening. And if you did, please share with someone you know or love. You can find us on social media. We are at Elevate Addiction Services. And if you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, please call our toll-free confidential 24-hour helpline at 833-33-SOBER or visit our website at elevaterehab.org. Thank you.